Good morning. Hey, y'all. If you don't know me, uh, I'm Jacob, and I'm very humbled and honored to get to uh, share the Word of God with you, to get to worship with you, to get to be here as a member at Living Hope. Um, if you don't know me, uh, I'm normally around doing something, uh, and so I like to work with the youth, and, and I get to be on the worship team, and sometimes I'm up in children's breaking things, and so uh, it's, it's a really fun thing that I get to do, and the most important thing for you to know is that Jesus Christ saved me, and he didn't just save me just to make things okay on that one day. He saved me because there's a purpose and there's a calling that I get to live in this life, and that is to make much of him in every way possible and less and less of me. And I, I don't always do great at it. There are plenty of times where I get it backwards. But uh, this morning, I pray that we can all just collectively decide, hey, we're going to make much of Jesus in this place. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would be here with us this morning. Lord, I pray that the words that I share, God, that if anything is just a good thought or, or just something that's from me, God, and isn't, isn't by your word and by your spirit, that, Lord, you would uh, cause me to forget to say it or cause everyone to forget that I said it, Lord. I pray that your word and your spirit be made much of in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Alan asked me if I would come up and I would preach, and, um, and he said, hey, uh, just any of the scripture on the triumphal entry. And I thought, well, you know, that, this would be great. We, I'm in a D group. If you don't know what a D group is, we, we have some groups in our church, and normally they're um, normally about three, four people discipling each other, meeting every week or every other week, and, and talking about the Word of God, talking about what we're going through, and sort of trying to sharpen each other. Uh, to follow after Jesus. And so I, I'm in a D group and we're reading through the book of Luke. And we had already read the triumphal entry. And I was like, man, this is, this would be great. I've already read this. Uh, I take notes when I read through the Bible. And so I go back to my journal, I open it to that section, and I look at my notes. And here's what I see, okay? I see that I took notes before and I took notes after. But I took no notes on the triumphal entry. And I then went back in my mind and thought, well, why didn't I take notes on this? And I remembered that when I got to this section of Scripture, I had the thought, I've read this before. How many times have I read about the triumphal entry? How many times have I, have I read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and them rejecting them and, and leading to the crucifixion? And so I don't need to read more about that. That's not good for me. And so I'll just breeze through this part of Scripture. And I made a choice to trust my own knowledge and my own memory and my own intellect and my own thoughts about the Bible over digging into the Word of God. And so in that moment, I, I chose to trust me and not ask God to reveal himself to me in every part of Scripture. Maybe you've been there uh, where you've said, you know, I've heard it before, I know this story. Maybe you do this not just in, with the Bible, but with the way you live your life, with the way you have theology, with the way that you worship, that you decide because you learned something once, because you read something once, it's how it's going to be for the rest of your life in Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that if Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he did not want to just make things right one time. He wants to take you from glory to to glory to become more and more like him. 
And so I don't need to just figure out things once. Every day that I get to be alive, as I'm getting closer and closer to heaven, things should be changing, and I should be growing to become more like Jesus. Now, I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, anybody else ever do that? Anybody? I think especially those, the longer you're in church, like it sort of happens more and more. You're like, oh, okay, let me just, and we, we do this thing we call it going through the motions. And if we aren't careful, we trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus. We fall into cycles, we're comfortable in it, and it's not always bad to have rhythms in life. It's not always bad to going through the motions. But if going through the motions causes us to miss God, causes us to not be obedient to God, then, then we miss everything. And so this morning I'm praying that if you are on autopilot, if you got up this morning, you, you came to church, you got your coffee, you sat in your pew, you sat through the songs, and you've done all of it only because you're going through the motions. And you didn't come today to, to see Jesus. You didn't come today to learn about how to be obedient. You didn't come today to be changed. I pray that you'll turn off autopilot. And I pray that in this moment, as we talk about Scripture, that we won't miss Jesus being king in our lives. So uh, the main point that we're going to look at today, we're going to be in Matthew 21. And the main point that we're looking at is that Jesus, as king and Lord of our lives, must drive our worship, theology, and mission to spread the gospel. I'm really bad at points. You're going to see that as we go through. But I know that one point is through the whole message, okay? Okay. Um, and so the question that I want you to ask yourself is how do we respond to Christ as Lord and King in every area of our life? Not just how did we respond to Christ at salvation. And some of you may not know Jesus. You may not know him in salvation yet. And today can be a day where you come to know him as Lord and King of your life. But some of you do know him as Lord and King or, or you've called on him as Lord and King and, and yet Today, there are areas of your life that you aren't submitting to him being Lord and King in your life. And so I want to think about how we can respond in those areas. We're going to read through the whole passage here in Matthew 21. When they had approached Jerusalem and to come to Bethphage and at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, and we're going to break down, but I want you to know the focus of this passage is that Jesus has decided to put on a public demonstration. There were many times in Scripture where he would do something, but it was sort of covert, or he said, don't go and say anything. But in this one, he is saying, hey, we're going to go in just like Scripture says so that people know that I am the Messiah. And in doing this, this very public scene, there are four different groups of people that we're going to look at uh, from Scripture and how they responded to Jesus coming as king. Now, the passage is told in every gospel, so we have four perspectives. And so um, Alan told me I could choose any of the four to, to preach from. I said, great, I'll choose all of them. So we're going to actually be looking at the perspectives from each of the gospels and I don't, look, I gave them sort of the order of how we're going to do this, um, and I'm sure they got it all right. But if not, just, we're going to jump around a little bit as we're looking at this story and how it unfolds on that day. Just as Jesus came into Jerusalem to demonstrate his role as king, he comes to those of us who call on him as savior to be king in our lives. So let's start. We're going to start with uh, Matthew 21. Now, it's going to be up here as we jump around. Uh, we're also going to hit a little bit of Mark uh, right here. So let's start here. So um, when they'd approached Jerusalem, they'd come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there. Now we're going to jump to Mark. Um, so can we jump to the Mark passage? There it is. So um, Oh, no, Mark 11. Okay, see, that's okay. I probably missed a one in my notes. So this is in Mark 11, too. Um, and in Mark 11, too, it says, A donkey on which no one has ever sat, and a colt with her, and untie them and bring them to me. Uh, we're back in Matthew now. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a colt, uh, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them. Back in Mark, uh, verse 5 of chapter 11, it says, Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they responded uh, to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And they brought the donkey and the colt back in Matthew and lay their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Now, you may be wondering, why are you jumping around to all of this different scripture? Because all scripture is God-breathed. And when God tells us things in multiple places in scripture, it's not that he was like, oh, well, maybe they'll get over it. He wants us to get the picture of what's happening, okay? And so we're going to look at, at what's happening here. And so Jesus is coming from Jericho in the east towards Jerusalem through Bethphage. Uh, and the Mount of Olives. This is five days before Passover. So Passover sort of uh, lasting throughout this whole time. It's a, it's a festival. And so there are over two million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. There's also in there, there was a scripture reference. And that reference is back in Zechariah chapter 9. We're going to come back to that, okay? Um, and so, but we do see that there. Jesus then sends his disciples to get the cult. And he says, hey, go get uh, the donkey and the colt. Because the, the colt was so young that it was still following after its mother. And no one had ever ridden on it before. And so if anyone said, well, how do we know that that, that is this colt? He's like, no, no, there's the mom and there's colt. I just want everything to be clear about what's being said about who Jesus is. And he tells them to go. And in accordance with scripture, he tells them what to say and what's going to happen. 
And then perhaps one of the verses that, that easily glossed over is, is verse 6 in Matthew. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. See, we read here that they went and they did it as Jesus said to do it. See, they did this because the faith that they had led them to obedience. It wasn't hard to obey Jesus because they had been obeying Jesus. See, their obedience wasn't maybe one day I'll obey, maybe one. It was every day from the moment he called them and they followed after him, they practiced obedience. Now, there were challenges and there were times that they failed and there were times that they did not rise up. But all of that led them to this point where Jesus could say, hey, go do this. And they went and they did it. And it reads so normal, but it's so profound Because how many times do we read the Word of God? How many times is it preached on, does the Spirit of God lead us in something, and we go and do what we want? And we don't go and do what Jesus says. How many times do we pick Scripture and we're like, hey, I can obey this Scripture. I mean, man, I could testify about this. No, no, I'm okay with these Scriptures and obeying this area. But, but no, I don't need to obey this area. And maybe one day I'll get it. But if the Bible says it, if the Spirit of God is in us and leading us and, and it tells us to do something, the normal response of a Christian is to go and do what Jesus says to do. Uh, there's a book by Watchman Nee. Uh, it's called The Normal Christian Life. If you've never read it, highly recommend it because you read this book and you read it and you go, man, this is profound. Like, wait, wait, you're saying the normal Christian should, should do the things that the Bible says to do? <laughs> wow. I thought the normal Christian like showed up to church uh, unless there were other things that came up, unless it's not my priority, and, and maybe they join a hope group, or maybe they do a discipleship class, or you know, maybe they read their Bible in the week or pray a little bit. I thought that was the normal Christian life. But really, the Bible assumes that the normal Christian is obedient to what God wants to do and what he leads them to do through his word and through his spirit. That Jesus being king makes our theology be whatever God says, yes. Whatever God says, yes. No, 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 but I have a problem. No, 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 what did God say? No, but this person over here, you don't understand. No, 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 what did God say? No, I don't have time to do that. No, 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 what did God say? Because whatever God said, yes. That's what the Bible assumes a Christian does. Now, culture... And church history and things have gotten in the way of that. But when we look at the Bible, when we look, it's, it's highly normal that if you're following Jesus, it's, a, it's an attitude and a response of yes. I will be obedient. But you're not going to get to a yes if you don't practice following today. See, they, Jesus didn't go with him to get the donkey. He, he said, you go get it. He didn't say, I'm going with you, Right? And they, you know what they could have done? They could have walked in and they said, oh, hey, look, here's a donkey outside the city. Let's get that one. Well, it's still a donkey, right? It's okay for me to, I mean, I'm doing a Christian thing. I'm following Jesus, sort of. So it's okay for me to do it this way, as long as I do something. That's not what obedience looks like. Obedience isn't doing something. O- obedience is following 
what the Word of God says and where the Spirit of God leads. And so I'm obedient and I take the step because God told me to, because His Word told me to, because it's backed up in Scripture, because the Spirit of God is leading, because other believers uh, uh, affirm that this is happening and it's where God is leading. And so I'm obedient and I follow after the Lord. See, the disciples respond in obedience, but this obedience took faith. When is the last time that, that you had faith to obey? How often do we read Scripture, do we pray, and, 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 and we're, we're led by God to do something? How often is it normal for us? Because that's the normal thing that we do, is that we respond in obedience. And I pray that we could get there. I know I don't. I know there are plenty of areas where I want to fight and I want to, I want to wallow and I want to say, well, let me, let me say, maybe. Maybe, God. Maybe. And sometimes my maybes are, well, I need to pray about it or, or I need to do this. I need to line this up. But really, I should say, yes, God, now lead me. Yes, God, now lead me. We're called in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, tells us to, to walk by faith and not by sight. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not, our not on your understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Yes, Lord, I'm leaning on you. You're going to make the path straight. You're, gonna, you're just calling on me to say yes and follow, to go and do when you call. What would, your, what would your life, what would be different if today you said, Lord, whatever's in Scripture, wherever you're leading me to serve in the church, wherever you're leading me to go, what's different today if, if your attitude is yes, Lord? And whatever it is, you have made that other thing king in your life. And we need to repent we need to repent so we can say, yes, Lord, and we go and we do because God said to go and do. And we're going to see why this is important as we, as we move on this morning. Now, there's a list, and I sort of made a list. I'm probably going to skip over this a little bit. I can give you a list. I can give you things that I think are important for you to go and do, and we can talk about prayer and repentance and, and taking the gospel out and go make disciples and, and things that are clear in Scripture. But you know what? You got Google, and, and you got a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible here. You can take it. If you need something to help with a Bible study, you let us know, okay? There are commands in Scripture, and the commands that, that maybe are louder to me right now may not be louder to you. So you need to read Scripture, and you need to listen to God where you need to say yes. Okay? Let's keep going. On the next day. Oh, we're in John now. Woo. Okay. So now we're on John. Okay? We haven't got there yet. Here we go. On the next day, the large crowd... Who had come to the feast. So this is the two million, right? There's a large crowd. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took the branches of the palm trees. They went out to meet him and began to shout. Now we're back in Matthew. Most of the crowds spread their coats in the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. See, I did this thing where I color-coded it, but I didn't remember it. Now we're in Luke. <laughs> I promise, I promise, it's in there, okay? As soon as he, Jesus, was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Back in Matthew, 
The crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And in Mark, it says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And back in Matthew, it says, when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So what has happened is there's a crowd in Jerusalem that heard Jesus was coming and they rush out to go meet him because Jesus had been known by this point. People would come around, but they've been talking about this guy because there were miracles that were done. There was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And there was this idea that it's exciting to see who he is. And so they're running and they're wanting to see who he is. And they join in sort of with the disciples to usher him in to the city. And they grab palm branches, and they take their cloaks, and they throw them down. And, and there's a lot of significance and symbolism here, um, but I, I, that's not where I'm going today, but I'll just let you know. This is all sort of a, an outward sign that he is the king. We're going to lay this stuff down to him as the king. And if we look back in Zechariah 9 that was referenced in the scripture before, here's what Zechariah 9, 9 says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And if you read all of chapter 9 of Zechariah, you can see that the king was going to be rejected, but this rejected king would be enthroned. But to recognize the king was seen in verse 9, that he would be mounted and riding on a donkey. They were to behold him. That word behold means look. Look, see him, see that your king is coming. And then the, the response to seeing that the king is coming are rejoice, shout. The word shout here, uh, I liked it because it was uh, ruah. Now, I'm not sure, but I, I like a Pacino, right? Like, ruah, huah, right? Like, right? Like, ruah, like shout. Um, it's a shout of triumph. The rejoice is being glad, be exceedingly glad, be, be absolutely glad that this is happening. This isn't supposed to be a quiet moment. It's not supposed to be anything that, that keeps us down and we go, oh, there, there he is. It, it's supposed to be this shouting thing. But the shouting and the praise follows the beholding. Because if we're shouting, if they're shouting and they're praising, but they aren't beholding him as king, they're just making noise. They're just saying words. And we actually know that they're not beholding him as king because how do they respond when the city says, who is this? And this city, they're agitated. They're bothered. It says they're stirred. And this means they are annoyed. What is going on? Can you keep it down, please? And the crowd response is, oh, this is Jesus the prophet, the guy from Nazareth. They don't say this is the salvation of the Lord coming into our city. They don't reference that he is humble and mounted on the donkey. He doesn't say it's our king coming to us. They never saw him, so they were loud and annoying. Because there was no true worship that happened. There was only words. Because they failed to see him. They failed to behold who he was. And we even see that when they ran to him, it says they're, they're shouting out because of the miracles they had seen. Mark says they're shouting out because the kingdom of David is coming. They're more concerned with this nationalistic identity 
than they are with the king of kings. They're more concerned that they're going to be, yes, it's coming, so we're going to be in control. We're going to be in power. And they're carried away by their excitement. See, the crowd responds with excitement, while the city responds with annoyance. The crowd physically welcomed Jesus. They did the stuff on the outside to make it look like they were welcoming the king, but there was no seeing who he is. See, the difference between, there's three groups of people right now, okay, and there's the disciples. And the disciples are also saying this, but they're saying it from a place of obedience and following him. The crowd is, are saying these words, and they're saying it from a place of excitement. And the city is just standing by, and they can't be bothered to even see him. You know, for us today, worship should flow from a place of beholding who God is and obedience to what God wants to do. When we worship the Lord, it isn't just to just say words. We don't go back, go back right now to 44 minutes ago. And when you sang the words on the screen, were you beholding God for who he is? And is your worship coming from a place where you have been following after him in obedience? Or did we just go through the motions and we came in and we said words to say words? Or are we just annoyed a little bit with worship? Does it just bother? Does, do the drums have to be that loud? Does it have to? Yeah, right? Does it have to be? Do we have to go that much? Right? All right do the lights have to do Are we just a little bothered by it? Do we see God as the God who saves, the God who is with us? Do we see him as the God who goes before us, the God who covers us, the God who redeemed us, who lift us up out of the miry clay, who told us when everything else said we were worthless, when our sin and our shame told us there was nothing good in us, that God looked and he called and he said, amen, there's nothing good in you, but I'm going to be in you and I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to have you follow after me. Do we worship from that place? Or is there something else that we're too busy looking at? Are we looking at something else besides King Jesus? And so maybe the reason this morning, the reason that, we, that we're having a hard time worshiping is because we're beholding the wrong thing. The reason we're having a, whole, a hard time maybe in, in fellowship, the reason we're having a hard time seeing who Jesus is, maybe is because we're beholding the wrong thing. And we're not beholding King Jesus. See, even today, there are people in this room who are singing, and, and we're going through different experiences. There are some who are excited, and you're here because you're excited. And, and, and maybe you show up to this church when you're excited, but maybe if there's something going on in another church, you're like, oh, that's exciting, let me go over there. And, and maybe there's something else, excite, and I'm just carried from excitement to excitement to things. Let me tell you where excitement gets you. Excitement gets you to sing Hosanna on a Monday and crucify him on a Friday. Because it was exciting. And I'm gathered with people who agree with me, and I'm excited about it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be excited in the Lord. We should, but even when it's not exciting for me, I don't want to be carried away by something. I want to be obedient to something. See, excitement always, always has me as the center. When it's about excitement, it's about what satisfies me. 
And oh, the church isn't exciting anymore. This isn't exciting. It's not exciting to be in a hope group. It's not exciting to be in a D group. It's not exciting to serve. So, so I'm just going to go where it's exciting. I like the drums. So that excites me. So I just want to be in worship on Sunday. And I, and I, hmm. But obedience, ask for more. There are some in here, and I already mentioned, but you're just bothered. You just respond, and by, when things happen, when God moves in the church, when we say, hey, here's where we're going, there, there's, I'm just bothered by it. I'm annoyed, right? And, and, and maybe even there, there's that person like that. We have some biases and things in us like, no, no, I'm fine worshiping, but, but I'm going to sit on this side because I don't want to sit next to that. I'm, I'm bothered by that. They're too loud, right? Amen. I mean, I'm one of those too loud people, right? Any others out there, right? Like, don't come to our hope group if you're not loud because... Let me tell you, we're, we're loud. Um, and so, uh, amen, Lenny, right? Like, um, like but it, it just happens. Like, we're, you know, I don't want to be, I'm bothered. When God moves, I'm bothered. But there was one group, and that's the disciples. And because they are following him in obedience, and they have seen him for who he is, and, and, and they haven't fully seen him, they're going to continue to see him more and more as the week progresses and as he resurrects. But worship's different for them. And I just want to tell you something. Simply doing the acts of worship, doing the physical things that the church asks you to do is not enough. And for me, if, if we're following after the Lord together, if we're part of the same fellowship, hope group, D group, I don't want someone next to me that's just excited. And I don't want someone next to me who's bothered all the time. I want someone who's willing to be obedient and follow the Lord because I need them in my life to remind me, hey, you need to be obedient and follow the Lord. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I'm ugly crying in a roses with my D group. And they're telling me things and speaking into my life, and not easy words, but things I need to hear because they're more concerned that I follow after Jesus than I simply feel okay or excited. Guys, we need that in our lives. I need that, and you need that, and the church needs that. So can I just say, if this morning, if you find yourself waiting for the next exciting thing, if you find yourself constantly bothered by things, maybe the problem is not whatever the thing is that you think it is. Maybe the problem is you need to go back and learn to say yes to the Lord. Maybe it's an issue of obedience between you and the Lord this morning and nothing else. And maybe that's who we focus on. But they didn't see him. They didn't see him as Messiah. The crowds didn't. The city didn't. And they were part of it. They were, they were in the space, but they missed it. So a few questions just for application for us. One is, where in our lives are we annoyed or bothered by what Jesus is doing? Where is it? Think about that. Where does it bother you? I, I, I'm, am I the only one? Like, sometimes I'm like, Lord, really? Like, Really? Another question is, are we caught up in excitement and chasing an exciting experience that feels good to me instead of beholding Jesus and being obedient? Do you praise God this morning for who he is? Do you worship him from a place of obedience? Now, there's another group there, and we're going to look at them real quick, okay? And that's the Pharisees. Now, they didn't show up in Matthew, but I promise they're there because there's the other scripture. So, uh, we're going to look at, um, I think, Luke, yes, uh, 39. 
verse 39 in chapter 19. It says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And then we're jumping back to John. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continue to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. See, the Pharisees pop up in this story telling Jesus to rebuke the disciples. To which Jesus responds, if I do that, if I tell them to be quiet, the stones are going to shout. Now, there's a lot of times that, that Jesus speaks in figurative language, but actually in the language, uh, when you go back and look at the tenses, he, he's delivering this as factual information. If the disciples don't worship me, eat, the stones will. Because I'm going to get my worship because I'm king of kings and lord of lords. And so once again, he's declaring who he is and almost to the point that it's like Pharisees, how do you not see this? Well, they don't, because what do they do? They look at the crowds, and they go, oh, this, this is bad. The whole world's going to follow him. And this ultimately leads to them continuing to plot against him, which is going to lead to Good Friday, to Jesus on a cross. But why? Why couldn't they see him for who he is and respond in worship? I mean, one thing you could say is, well, it took away their power and their, their place. Maybe that it was it. Maybe it was because it would mean that their understanding of Scripture and their view of God was wrong. And that's hard. That's hard for you to say and me to say today and them to say then. Because they were, my goodness, they were way better at it than I am. I mean, they studied from the time they were a child and they grew up and they knew they were right. But they missed it. And for you and me, I think there are a lot of things. You ever been to that point in your life where you have assumed that you were right in your theology, you assumed it, that you were right in something, but then you found out that maybe your heart was wrong. And maybe you weren't seeing how clearly you should see. But I'll tell you the reason that they were where they were is because they didn't behold Jesus. They didn't, they didn't look upon him for their salvation. They didn't follow him in obedience to God. And they had made other things the king in their life. Now maybe today you say, Jesus is king. But you say, Jesus is king until or unless. I'm going to give you a few, okay? Now these may not be yours. These are ones that as I look at and maybe some conversations that I've had that I think that we should think about. That, that how far is Jesus' kingship in my life? Jesus is king until I log on to social media. Because I can say things and type things on social media that I would never say face-to-face, -face, I would never say in church, and he's king of my life, but just when I'm on social media, I can say whatever I want. I can tell people how wrong they are, I don't have to show grace. Like, Why? Because, you know, he's, he's not king there. He's king until I'm at work, around my, my work people. I can't be like a Christian and follow after Jesus like I do at church when I'm at work. And so he's king in these other, but until I'm at work, or unless I'm home and I'm angry um, and I'm tired and maybe I'm hungry. And so he's king until Jack, I mean my kid, okay, like decides that tonight he's just going to show like how much of a three-year-old boy he is, right? And then, then I'm like, oh, like my goodness, right? Maybe, maybe he's king until... 
Maybe he's king until I have to offer forgiveness to people that have hurt me. Maybe he's king unless it's this area of hurt where I need to seek healing, and he's not king there yet. Maybe he's king until it means I have to become a little more conservative or a little more liberal. Jesus can be king unless people are going to think I'm woke. Jesus doesn't care if you're woke. Jesus doesn't care about what society places a name on how we act or respond. Jesus cares that you say yes and doesn't care what party politically that it aligns to. He only cares about the yes and doing the thing that he wants to accomplish in this earth. And so if we go, oh, I can say yes to Jesus until it means I look like a Democrat or until it means I look like a Republican, we need to repent because we have made something king over Jesus. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe there's a good thing in your life. Maybe there's a thing, maybe even in the Bible, but you've made the chief thing above the gospel and above Jesus Christ. And this good thing has become your defining thing. It's the hill you're going to die on. And you stand on that. And if anyone comes against that good thing, you just have to break fellowship. You can't be a part of it. You can't do it because that's the only thing that matters. Jesus Christ, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, is the only thing that matters. And if you are not changing from glory to glory, if you're not growing in your faith, if things aren't changing and growing in your theology, I promise God wants to. He did not save you to wait until one day to become like him in heaven. He saved you so that he could sanctify you, so that you could grow in him, so that things do change and your theology grows and your understanding of scripture grows because God is bigger and more immense and massive Compared to our understanding, Isaiah tells us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is higher than us. He is bigger than us. And when we don't let him be king, and I think a lot of us, we're afraid. Because what if following Jesus means that everything about me has to change? Not just my salvation not just the one day that I, that I go down and I'm praying, I kneel down. What if it means that I always have to live in a state where things change and it takes faith and obedience to follow? And the only sure thing that I have to hold on to is Jesus Christ as King, is my, my understanding of his word through the power of his spirit. But that's the thing I hold on to. I don't hold on to my thoughts or even my understanding yesterday. I hold on to my understanding today as I study and pursue him. What if Jesus saved you to change everything? Everything about you. Because he did. Everything. And it happens as we become more and more like him and grow in Christ. Now we're going to see at the end of Luke that Jesus has a response. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon one another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus sees it all. And he goes through it and he sees the people. And it leads not to a, a weeping over their worship, but a weeping over their blindness. 
He looks out and, and he foresees that there's a destruction coming and, and there's one that comes in 70 AD that he's talking about and I think there's one that even he's looking forward that's coming and it's breaking his heart that they are not seeing who Jesus is and who he is as the king there in flesh. And he says, if you had known, if you could have seen the peace that I brought to you today. And I don't think he's just broken in this moment. I think, too, that we have to remember Jesus has been a part of their lives from the beginning of time. He is the triune God. He has been with them in the time where they were led through the wilderness. He has been with them as they established the kingdom. He's walked with them to this day. And still seeing that they reject God and they reject Christ. But I think in application, Jesus sees you and I today. And I think maybe to some of us, most of us, probably all of us, there are areas of, his, of our lives that he's saying, if you could see what I'm trying to do, if you could see the peace that I want to bring you, if you could see, then you'd turn to me today. You'd know that my way and what I'm leading you to in this obedient life is one that's going to be good and it's going to lead to glory and nothing else that you build or you dedicate to or you make king in your life compares to me being king. There was a period of my life where I, I went through that I didn't have peace. I was in the church. I was serving in church. I, I, was, I was serving uh, in ministry, but I had no peace. And then one day I realized that I just got to lay down. I got to be obedient. I have to follow. I have to repent. And I have to, have to do. And I remember it was, it was terrifying to say these things and to tell people what had happened. But the day after, I woke up and I breathed in and there is peace that God brings. Why? Because there was obedience and obedience leads to peace. If you don't have peace. Let me ask you, is there obedience happening in your life? If you're not beholding Jesus for who he is, is there obedience in your life? Is he king or is he something else? See, the only response, the only response to God moving is obedience in our life. And our response to God moving, our response to the Bible, our response to these things, they reveal our relationship. So if you respond like the Pharisees, and God chooses today, he works through his scripture, the Holy Spirit, but he chooses the main way God has chosen to move on this earth is through his church and local body of believers, okay? So if you respond to God moving in any of those areas, if your response that you go to is that you're opposed to it first. I'm opposed to things like the Pharisees. I don't like, I'm, I'm, I'm opposed by it. If your response is like the city, you're angered, annoyed, why is this happening? If your response is, I'll do something if it's exciting, all of those are not the response of someone who's following Jesus today. The only response is a response of obedience. And so today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to respond. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day you can respond and begin following after him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the beginning of time was with God, chose to come to this earth, put on human flesh, die on a cross, be resurrected, and make a way back to God for us. 
And he offers that to you for those who believe in him and repent of their sins and call on his name to begin a walk of obedience and following after him. And that's good. That's good because that means today if you don't know Jesus, you can come to know him. But if you do know Jesus, if you know him and you've called him, but there's an issue that you're having, then maybe today's a day where you need to say, Lord, I want you to be king of every area. Lord, I want to repent for idols in my life, for things that I have made more important than you and your word and your kingship over my life. And maybe today is a day you need to pray and you need to ask the Lord to come in and you need to be reminded that the issues that you have, there's one person that can fix them. It's not a church, it's not a pastor, it's not a hope group leader. The issues that you're having, they can be fixed in Jesus Christ. And we start there and we stay there and we grow there, becoming more and more like him because we're called to him. And because we're called to him, we obey and we go as he says. Let's pray.